Welcome to Sharp Rocks and Dead Things, a fun intro into everything anthro. We're your hosts. I'm Emily Siebold. And I'm Chris Weber. I'm an anthropologist and archaeologist. And I'm a historian and a literary. And we are passionate students. Let us share with you what we learn. On today's episode, we're going to talk about seriation. We're going to get super seriation, guys. And Chris will reveal the horrible and highly illegal human experimentation that was done to him. Yes, master. Get over here. <laughs> please Tell don't, everyone the word of the please day. Please don't whip me again. <laughs> so the word of the day is, is lithics, um, which basically means it is made of stone. But when we use this term in archaeology, we're usually talking about stone tools made by humans or human ancestors. That's right. And there is all kinds of what we call traditions from all over the world. And yes, some of our human ancestors made tools as well. Started with a guy named Homo habilis, which means handyman. Um, he's one of the first tool makers that we identify. If you want to get more into that, I strongly encourage it because it's very interesting. But we will not be going into that today. We are just going to talk about seriation. They didn't wear a lot of denim. Not a lot of, you know, mm. they weren't really into Canadian tuxedos back yeah, then. Okay. Mm. Didn't come into fashion till like, oh, you know, oh, about, I see, mm, 19, 1965 AD. <laughs> <laughs> so, seriation was invented by Sir William Flinders Petrie. Now, this is not the Petrie dish guy, different oh, guy. He's my favorite Petrie. Really? Mine is the bat. Petrie. Oh, yeah. From Land Before Time. Anyway. Um, and this happened... He was a pterodactyl he was, god. You, what did I say? Bat? You oh, called him a bat. Him a bat. I think he's a filthy mammal. Oh, I feel bad now. I'm sorry, Petrie. I knew you were a pterodactyl <laughs> That's okay. He was time. He was pleasant. I'm sure he forgives you. He, you know what? He seemed like that kind of guy. He was pleasant. Like that kind of dactyl. Okay. Coolodactyl. <laughs> a coolodactyl. So, seriation was invented by Sir William Flinders Petrie in 1899. He used this method to date pre-dynastic Egyptian pottery. Mm. He figured out that items like tools and pottery evolved over time. He found that applying a bit of the evolutionary theory, like we talk about for biology, uh, to these human creations, we could help date the ceramics. The basic idea is that these items improve or become more elaborate in their design or decoration over time. Sure, sure. Objects made at the same time generally look more alike than objects made hundreds or thousands of years apart. Yeah, and they can sometimes be a little, you know, that could be a little hard to gauge because, you know, you might have a collapse of a society, but pottery still continues, but some of the more intricate art forms are lost yeah you bring up a good point that we're mm. going to get into mm. that trends come and go yep. and sometimes there's lots of callbacks yeah and you so you, it's it's you can't necessarily date you know like designs on it alone yeah exactly but yeah. but yeah it, it is a good indicator though right it's, it's a pretty logical way of thinking about it yes um as you as we describe how it works i'm sure you'll understand but i will also try to put together the assignment and put it on the tumblr page in case you want to take it nice yeah th this you you kind of did this one on your own a little bit i um i don't know much about uh seriation but yes uh we do this in archaeology doesn't come up a lot for 
a historian. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I guess when you're talking about the physical evidence, it would it would come up and it has come up. But, yeah, you definitely don't get as in-depth with with it as um, as you would in archaeology. Yeah, so we are going to talk about, well, there are two types of seriation. We're going to mostly talk about one of them today. Uh, we might come back to a ceramic frequency potteration, or a potteration, yeah. Potteration. You know what? We're just using that now. <laughs> New terminology. I like it. <laughs> Potteration. It's slick. <laughs> uh, we might come back to uh, ceramic frequency seriation in another episode. Nice. So frequency seriation requires many, many pieces for study, which is one of the reasons that uh, we didn't make an assignment for it for the class that I'm a TA for. And um, I don't have access to like a lot of pottery at this moment in my life. I hope to gain access to pottery later and then maybe we could do that. Give me all your pots. <laughs> but what I do have is access to some cast uh, mold lithics. So that's what we're using. Nice. Uh, these assemblages of pieces are arranged by their characteristics or classes to jointly form unimodal distributions. And this on a graph uh, looks like what we call battleships. If you ever played battleship or you briefly kind of understand what it might look like to be over a battleship, that is the kind of curve that um, these distributions make when they're graphed. Okay. And then they're lined up based on what we know about the chronology of ceramics in the area. And this pot has organic material in it and we can carbon date it. So now we know where that pot, that pot is from. Absolutely. Yeah. And now we find all these pots that look kind of like it and we can put that in that category and line them up sure, in, a, in a chronology. Safe bet. So that's a little bit about how that works. I myself am more familiar with lithic seriation. Uh, this is contextual. It examines design and style over time which is what what we mostly use for lithics. Unless, of course, much like pots, if we can get a good carbon date from something around it, we we would love to do that. Sure, maybe a little bit of like animal yeah, bits exactly. on it, animal bits. Exactly. Um, the thing that can make it hard is in places like Egypt, places like the Southwest, uh, a lot of the pottery just ends up on top for a really long time and you would never know when it was when it was placed there because mm -hmm. it just doesn't have the same kind of change as wetter areas. I see. So now, much like an art history major, you get your hands on enough of this material culture from known time periods and you start to see the evolution of the craftsmanship. So the assignment that I'm referring to is an assignment that I had to make for the class that I TA for this semester. And I made Chris take it. That was the <laughs> illegal did. human yep. experimentation. <laughs> and boy, did I fail. And yeah, I did not do super well. I don't think you did too bad. I didn't do too bad. I got every one of them wrong. But I but was you like... you tried in, really hard. Well, I was in the... I was in the ballpark range <laughs> i just was like i was usually one off of each one like that which, generally and then just completely off on a couple which if i'm grading i would give you credit for because yes. like you're obviously just yes. getting it in some <laughs> way you know it's it's you mean i didn't just you, you look it up concept. on google and type in yeah the answer? yeah <laughs> like i'm sure a few of the students who got this did <laughs> it's tempting i know i get it 
So there are common analogies that we use to help a new anthro or arc student open their mind. Uh, critical thinking on one's own biases and worldview is essential. So I want to talk about a few trends that I think are fascinating and they really make a difference on when you're dating through contextual seriation. Sure. So we want to think about how do items that humans use change over time? Think of cars and cell phones. How do you tell an old car from a new car? It's got a hemi. It's got a hemi. <laughs> so like an old car, like they have fins, right? No, no yeah. new cars have fins. <laughs> and they're mostly made of metal mm-hmm. and they're big. Yeah. Like they're sure freaking huge. Yep. I don't know if you've ever sat in a car made in the 70s, but you can, it's like a boat. They called them boats for a reason. It's like a studio apartment here in Denver. I know, right? I uh, know. God. <laughs> <laughs> Still less expensive. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, or uh, an old cell phone to a new cell phone. Like mm-hmm. if, I, if I gave you a cell phone from the early 2000s and had you compare it to probably what's in your pocket today, you probably laugh. Sure. Yeah. Right. But you would understand you would understand the differences. Mm-hmm. And if I threw out a bunch of cell phones to you or showed you some pictures of cars made between, you know, now and when cars were first made, you'd probably be able to get most of them in order. Sure. Yeah. But you have all the context you need. Exactly. Yep. You grew up around those things and you know what they look like and you've seen them in enough places to know when what like when what model would be from what time period yeah no absolutely yeah yeah you're you you're around it yes it's part of your everyday yes. for decades so we don't have that with lithics so it's harder but we can still draw a few conclusions and then of course we always take these things and compare them with other data sets mm-hmm. like carbon 14 dates sure and stuff like that uh, i want to talk about a few of the caveats to seriation um and as he brought up before tends repeat them or trends tend to repeat repeat themselves fashion trends are an, an incredible example uh right now i'm living through an era where i'm watching like the cutest young women wear the ugliest stuff from the 90s and i'm just like we didn't wear that then why are you wearing this now but that's happening right and mm-hmm. everybody has also lived through this time period i'm sure that my sister looked back on what I was wearing and was like, oh, no, what in the world? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because we live in a world now where we can, you know, look back pretty far at those old trends, you know, but then before the the sort of modern period, you didn't really have that luxury, right? Like you, you, you couldn't get on the Internet and yeah. look at like, how are people dressing in the 1800s? Yeah. Um, you know, it was it, it either had to be immediately around you or something that was just continually passed on. So if you have something like the collapse of a society or a civilization and those things get lost, you know, you might have traces of them. But then it be, kind of becomes like a whole new kind of new form to that. Art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you like you can see old statues from the Mediterranean, the ones that aren't naked what they're wearing and you can see the modern counterparts of those things that we 
still wear and still bring back. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't be like, you know, this modern day actress is obviously she must be out of place in 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 the ground or whatever, because she's wearing a dress from ancient Greece that is obviously made from ancient like from this ancient fashion trend. Sure, sure. So that would be a wrong conclusion that you would make. Yep. For as far as phones go, I don't know if know if anybody remembers the razor. The, mm-hmm. the flip phone, the razor. Oh, yeah. But they're trying to bring that back. So that would throw off phone seriation because that would put sure. that at a different time period. Yeah, if you're basing it simply on cosmetics, yeah. 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 There's also this weird little car. Um, one of my aunts used to drive one called a Chevy HHR, and it was modeled off of a Model T Ford. Cool. So That's that really would cool. also be something sure. that could throw sure, that yeah, off. Yeah. So there's all, those are all trends to keep in mind. Weird things humans do because we like old stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're here because we like old stuff. Talking about old stuff. I'm sure. Sure. We, we always look to like the glory days of the past, right? Yeah. Yeah. Paint the past with with the the ancestors knew the truth. Colored glasses yeah, and whatnot. Those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. So th- so the next thing I want to talk about is how you can use something for many tasks basically Mm -hmm. so the i think the best one that my professor gave and probably makes most sense for the people listening here is a butter knife so if you walked into a kitchen and you found a butter knife in the kitchen what do you think it would be used for oh like oh just me yeah yeah. you can answer yeah you have the assignment you can answer um what would a butter knife I mean, you obviously think cutlery, right? Like some sort of yeah. So it's in the kitchen. Yep. yep. So dull edge. You think it would be some sort of, you know, use spreader. Yeah, sure, sure. Maybe cuts off stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're definitely thinking this is for food. Mm -hmm. Now, what if you went into a garage and you saw a butter knife sitting next to a can of paint? Right. Then you would think you'd think tool. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You would think uh, maybe they're going to open that can of paint with that. Sure. Maybe they're going to stir that paint inside with it. Maybe uh, they're going to put it on their sandwich. God, I hope not, but <laughs> maybe. Mm, good old lead-based paint. That's right, lead-based paint. If lead there is a paint. body nearby, maybe. Check a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so these... Kids love nothing better than lead-based paint. That's right, lead-based paint. Honestly, I, I heard a weird old commercial like that once. It was like... It had this little little Dutch boy um, logo thing. Sure. And it was just like, little Dutch boy lead paint. And it was like, definitely look like like they were saying it was safe for children to eat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like it looked, yeah, anyway. Collect all the colors. You guys can Google <laughs> that on your own time. So the assignment that I gave, um, the students received... Resin casts or 3D prints, I'm not sure how they were made, of 10 different lithics, all from North America. Lithic seriation for the Americas can get controversial, but we won't get into that on this episode. But maybe we'll dish on that in the future. In the classroom or lab, the students are given a box of these resin caster prints of the lithics, and they have to think about the style problems that arise and the evolution of design through time in terms of the design of certain projectile points. It matters what was being hunted and the kind of stone available. The oldest points are more crude and well-designed than the well-designed and stylized points. 
And certain points were dated from other materials found in situ, which is archaeologist for in place. And that's always exciting. At least to us, it's always very exciting to get an exact date. Oh, yeah. Um, or as exact a date as you can get with a carbon 14 with carbon 14. Um, these dates are used alongside seriation to try to find patterns that could be used to date points found out of place. For instance, all the points amateurs pick up without recording the pertinent information to. Mm. So after the students take the lithics out of the box and study their design, they can attempt to put them in chronological order. And the procedure was basically this. Based on the information that you received, and this is the same information that you've received in this episode, you start to sort the lithics. And maybe in your mind, you've already started to put the large, less detailed points in one pile and the smaller, more detailed points in another. So you start sorting after that with characteristics uh, like with like. So the detail of the napping. Less, la- less napped goes together, more napped goes together. Um, you look uh, at the ends. So real quick, what is napping? Uh, so flint napping is when you take stone or bone and you knock it or pressure push it on another piece mm-hmm. of stone to get it to break that causes a sharp edge, Okay, basically. Yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, anybody out there listening yeah, wasn't sure asking. what napping was. Yeah, flint napping, uh, you know, started with human ancestors and continues to this day. And now we even may even see, um, I've heard that some chimp bands have moved into their Stone Age now. So that will be really important for us to study mm-hmm. uh, as far as our human ancestors go. We have Flint napping is the breaking of stones to make mm-hmm. tools, basically. Which is very hard, I hear. Very hard. If you go into that practice, just expect to have bloody fingers all the time. <laughs> That's fun. No, it's very cool, though, right? Because then you, you have techniques usually being passed down through generations. That's most true. Likely. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then refinements. So that you know, absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Another thing that could possibly... Um, off your dating is if a tradition was lost and then something like it was kind of regained so well kind of like our pottery analogy earlier yeah Yeah. humans leave stone tools everywhere so if it dies out in one culture you that another culture might find it and be like hey this is great we Mm -hmm. should do this sure Yeah? yeah we grouped the points and then we lay them out in what we thought the chrono the chronological order was how did you do, Chris? Well, like I said earlier, I did pretty poorly. Um, I actually uh, didn't really have a lot of experience with lithics before, um, you know, meeting you. So, yeah, I, I really had no experience. Um, I was pretty much off on all of them, but usually not too far off. I was completely off on a couple. Um, it's, you know, it's because you, 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 you gave me a chart with dates um Mm -hmm. you know timeline of dates and then examples of the of of what lithics probably would have looked like in that period maybe with those certain people like you know clovis points um you know a lot of other points and yeah it's it's a little tough right because you're 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 focusing in on these certain aspects but 
sometimes that's not really what you're supposed to be focusing on, right? It's you, you inherently, if you're a novice, you want to focus in on the most prominent aspects of a lithic. Yeah, and it could be something that you don't notice at first at all that really throws throws your date. Yeah, so so like you'll you'll instinctually want to go to size or shape mm-hmm. or you know or something of that nature and then you know I didn't really think about the napping. You you know like I didn't really think about how like, like less those... and more notched. Yeah, or, or something like you know, that or maybe like you know a lot more little hits instead of yeah. a couple big big hits, you know what I mean? So you would probably think the bigger hits older. You know, mm-hmm. you have a little more, just a little cruder. Yeah. Um, and then as it refines over time, maybe you find little ways to to do a lot more little ones to get a little more shapely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So those are things I didn't think about initially. Um, and yeah, so I did not great. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> was it harder than you thought? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I I I thought I was at least gonna get one right. <laughs> didn't even get one right. I was always really close though. Like I need to say that I was always pretty close. Well, um, if it makes you feel any better, uh, it is thought that the best nappers of any group start very young and work their way into it, uh, you know, from like from like probably eight or nine well into being a teenager and an adult. Mm-hmm. They're working on making points. Yeah. Um, in Jennifer Raff's new book, Origins, which I highly recommend, it was it's really, really good. Um, she talks about how you would have used less valuable stone to let the kids practice on, and then they're going to practice forever sure. until they actually get to well, work on the good stuff. There aren't Xboxes, you know. Yeah, right? yeah. Is that people still play Xbox? Yeah, I don't know. No, no. <laughs> Showing my age. I think we are the Xboxes. <laughs> Uh, I told the students in the assignment that the points were mostly from west, from the West and uh, Midwest North America. But there was one outlier. One that was... It's not from other places in the world, but it's not... F- it's from North America, but it's not from the, the West or Midwest. And asked them to pick it out. Did you pick it out, Chris? I don't think I did. No, you didn't. I think I got it wrong. You yeah. didn't. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, uh, this of my students who didn't look everything up online and I could tell they actually tried on the assignment and did it themselves. Um, almost everybody picked the same one that you did because it looks weird. Yeah. yeah. It's not actually style, like style wise. It's not super different from the West, from the rest of them, Mm -hmm. but the shape is so much different. It throws everyone off. And again, yeah. And, and and if you're a novice and you don't know what you're really looking for, haven't really spent a lot of time with lithics like me, um, yeah, then like like I said, you're focusing on just the immediate noticeable qualities and not thinking about the nuances of how they're being shaped. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, so so this odd looking one that's the outlier, or suppose you think's the outlier, totally is it. It's it's actually the one that you probably <laughs> weren't really expecting yeah. was the outlier. So the ones towards the west and the midwest, they're they're generally longer, bigger, wider. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because you're hunting big stuff. Hunting Bison stuff. Yep. and elk and moose. Like, have you ever seen a moose? It's so big, it doesn't seem real. <laughs> and you're just hunting that with a sharp rock, man. It's yeah. got to be a big, sharp rock. So 
you go more south, more southeast to Florida, where the outlier point was from. Mm-hmm. It was a Simpson point found on the Suwannee River. And it looks like a little fish. Yeah. Yeah. And it was probably more likely used to hunt things from above into water. Sure. Uh, yep. There's, you know, a lot of people give you their analysis on that. I'm, I'm not... Keep in mind that as far as it goes, I am not an expert, um, but there was a lot more fishing and like swamp land mm-hmm. oh, yeah. uh, subsistence mm-hmm. happening oh, there. Yeah. So you can see the clear difference in the point. Um, it is shaped like a fish and it has a little fish tail, and the other ones do not have fish tails. Mm-hmm. There is no fish tail present. So after you get, like, after I, you know, showed you which ones were which. Did it seem more obvious to you? Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, again, okay. I haven't taken the class, so I'm not getting all the sort of contextual stuff that comes with the I lithics. took no lithics class. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, is, I... it seems like there's a lot of nuances, but honestly, it's probably just spending time with a lot of lithics. It's spending time with material yeah. culture. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's, it did seem a little more obvious. I was kind of like didoy a couple times, you know, when I saw, but, um, you know, but it, it a lot harder than, than it seems. I think, yeah. It Especially is doing it your seems. first first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put Chris on the spot here, so. No, give, no, it's give totally him fine. No. Give him a round. No, I mean, um, I mean, making mistakes is a good, good way to learn, right? I mean, Yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could be told all the right answers, and that won't weigh or stick half as much as getting it wrong and going back over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you want to learn more about lithics at home, you can visit projectilepoints.net to learn what's in your area. And it's a kind of a citizen's collective thing. So if you have ones that are in your area, that maybe you found in your area, not bought, like actually found, uh, you can talk to those people at projectiles.net about uploading your point and classifying it. So that's fun. Uh, many archaeologists who study lithics draw them. And this is a really important aspect to archaeological work. Museums may be around hundreds of years, but sometimes museums are in countries that experience turmoil and upheaval. And if you study civilizations, you kind of get the feeling that it's only a matter of time before it's yours too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you think about it, if you take the time to to draw it in detail, I mean, you're really examining it. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're not only visually examining it closely, but then you're putting it down onto paper and, mm-hmm. and you're making sure you're getting all those, all those little things. Right. Yeah. And you might catch details that could be lost in a photo, especially an mm-hmm. old photo. Yeah. Um, Texture. Like yeah. you can usually make, I don't know. Yeah. An old photo might be a little hard to tell texture, but you know, if you see it jotted out, you see the stippling, you mm-hmm. can really get, get an effect. Yeah, drawings, casting, uh, these, what you think of more as, you know, art mm-hmm. forms are really important also for recording. Yeah. You think of restoration as, you know, something that just happens on the Home Improvement Network, but there's a lot of restoration in archaeology. Uh, we restore temples and cave paintings, and we try to keep these alive and available for future generations. Mm-hmm. So often artifacts go up on sale on the black market after being looted 
in these troubled times um, and some really important things have gone missing during times of war so even if you're just a volunteer I really I would say get involved locally and do what you can to keep record and and preserve the things that you feel like are important to uh, history and the archaeological record um, you know when these things go missing um, and we understand they're bought and sold we'd feel better if the money from those items went towards food or rebuilding but unfortunately it is more common that their sale funds terrorism and more instability there are photographs and drawings of artifacts that live on long after the artifacts themselves go missing and if you are interested in archaeology and like to draw or make molds you can always safeguard these items for future generations to study at the Zakodian cave site in China there were bones of a human ancestor found. Uh, this was a really big find in the 1920s as it was a Homo erectus. Oh. And this is also called the Dragon Bone Hill site. And he is also referred to as Peking Man. But that has... Okay, uh, I've heard him by Peking since, Man, yeah. Yeah. So that's like an older term. Um, it is out of fashion. It is considered a little like old-timey and, and sure. racist. So... Um, is referred to as a Dragon Bone Hill site okay. or the Zakudian uh, Man or a Zakudian Cave site. And uh, these bones, super important, super rare, first time we ever found this that far east, went missing in December 1941 oh, after wow. being packed to be sent to the U.S. for safekeeping during World War II. Oh, no. Yeah. Many anthropologists have looked for these bones, and there's been a bunch of books written about it too um but as of yet they have not been recovered man and they survive today for study only by molds and drawings sure so never think that oh this will never matter when you're drawing something or casting something important like these think oh you know they'll do a thousand of these yours might be the only one that survives for whatever reason <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's you know i guess with archaeology you're mostly dealing with trash right like most of the time like when you're doing digs and things it's it's a lot of trash it's or, a lot of trash well, i wouldn't like, say mostly trash but maybe maybe a good 55 percent no 45 percent trash well it's not like a semantics a lot a lot of trash oh no we have to argue about this but i mean but but that it's really important right because like it might just seemingly be a piece of trash like mm -hmm. seemingly be something that's super common but you never know you yeah. know i mean it's yeah it's, it's definitely worth cataloging making sure it's it's safe for, for posterity's sake um because you really never know yeah in that case in in the case of that one of uh the zakudian man we definitely knew and it still was lost to time mm -hmm. so yeah do it <laughs> <laughs> Well, cool. This was really fun. I, um, yeah, I had learned a lot from it. Um, definitely got Thank me a little more interested in lithics. Indulging me. Yeah, no, it's, it was something that didn't come up in my studies too much. Um, you know, unsurprisingly, but, um, you know, you, you, you hear mentions of it when you talk about, you know, different cultures and things. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really fun, <laughs> even though I failed miserably. I I think you did great, honestly. Like if you're <laughs> oh, only off you. by a little, I think you're still still getting there because it's about <laughs> concepts. 
not complete right answers. Right, yeah, exactly. So, today we are re- reviewing a drink. Why do we re- review drinks? Because alcoholic drinks and some weird foods made by humans are so old they could be an artifact. So today, when we went to go get these little tasty things, I was like, oh, it would be really cool if I could find a drink to have on the show that's over 50 years old. Because over 50 years old is an artifact. Mm-hmm. Turns out, you cannot afford a drink that is an artifact on an archaeologist's salary. They, it was like, starting at about 18 years, we're talking several hundred dollars and out of my price range. <laughs> But I yeah, tried. It was pretty nuts. I tried. Yeah. What was the oldest one they had? I think it was like. It was like thirty-two years. Yeah, thirty-two or years, and it was three thousand like over three thousand dollars. Yeah. Like for that, I want it. I want it to at least be fifty years old. You think we got Dang. Indiana Jones money? We got no Indiana Jones money. You know what? The more I think about it, the more he had to be. He had to have been hobby lobbying those those uh artifacts because you just you don't make that kind of money he was a little a little sketchy a little he sketchy a little, i think little, he was a little more sketchy a little problematic my friend kayla um is definitely gonna send me hate mail over this <laughs> so uh what do what we drink what are we drinking today then so this is five farms irish cream from county cork ireland oh uh, yes yes so th- this is a little weird one to have because uh, it's like a almost like a liqueur, but I do love me some I Irish cream. It'd be tasty. Yeah. Oh, I bet it's gonna be tasty. Mm. Mm. Put that on some ice. Put a couple yeah. ice cubes in that, and just like have a little and just Not like a little tiny glass. Not quite as sweet as the more known brands like Bailey's. I think it's better than Bailey's. Yeah, I like it. And it comes mm. in a much cuter little bottle. It does come in a cute bottle. Man, yeah, I like that. It's good. Seventeen percent uh, alcohol. Comes from County Cork, Ireland. Five Farms. I think I, nice. I I think it's better than Bailey's. Yeah, definitely try this, y'all. Yep. Also, maybe because like you know, Creep makes me think maybe we could do a weird old food or something. Ooh, is there a fifty-year-old cheese? Oh, we could do a whole episode about All cheese. Questions we will answer in time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot, everyone.